interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you breaking news. Yes, on this 51st birthday weekend, Practice No Filter Episode 9 has been taken over. You heard me, Dr. Stephanie Helms Pickett is not hosting, but rather she is our very special guest. Dr. Stephanie, are you there? Yes, I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm here. Yes, I'm here, present and accounted for. We are so glad that you have taken the time to join us from the other side of the desk today. You know, I am extremely excited about having the opportunity to host Practice No Filter, Episode 9. And I just need to go on and tell you that I don't know what's in store for this takeover edition, but I found it very interesting that the angel number nine represents love, faith, and spiritual enlightenment. And Dr. Stephanie, I know there's some things that we disagree about, but one thing I have to say is those attributes fit you perfectly. So I can't think of a better person to illuminate some things for us than you. So are you ready to get started? I believe I'm ready. You have started off with a bang, but I expected nothing less from you being the quiet, shy, and innocent person that you are. <laughs> well, of course that would be. <laughs> but before we get into the meat of our interview, I wanted to allow you to give our listeners any disclaimers you feel relevant since you have relinquished the role of interviewer to become the interviewee during this your 50 wonderful birthday weekend. I want everybody to stretch your arms toward the device by which you hear this voice coming out of because we just don't know what we are getting ready to experience. Just pray, saints, pray. <laughs> we are going to be fine. We are going to be All fine. All right. I'm excited that you have taken over. Well, I, I want it to be a Holy Ghost takeover. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> in keeping with the flow of Praxis No Filter, I would also like to share for you to share with your listeners um, among the many, not just hats that you wear, you also stroll in so many stilettos, among them being the Associate Vice Provost for Inclusive Excellence and Strategic Practice in the Office of Institutional Equity and Diversity at North Carolina State University. You lead the Anointed Souls Dance Ministry at Wake Chapel Church, along with others, including prison ministries. You provide service to all mankind through the first and finest Black Greek sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. In addition to being an author, a blogger, a mother, a wife, a caregiver, a friend, and a spiritual counsel to many, yet you too have not been exempt from spending countless hours sheltering in place as we enter phase two of navigating the recent pandemic while also experiencing every possible emotion over the heightened but definitely not new battle against racism and injustice. How are you doing? And what are you doing to hold it all together? Kind of share with us how your life has changed since 2020 has shown us her own vision. Mm -hmm. Yes, she has, right? So 
first, I must say, uh, clearly, I'm still navigating some kind of sickness to grant you access to the mic on today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think I'm managing as I hear in the background daily. (laughs) That is sheltering in place with my mother. Um. I won't suggest that uh, every day has been as I hoped, right? So initially when the borders were closed to the United States, there was a rush to get my daughter back from France. Um, doing that in less than 48 hours for her studying abroad. So it, it started um, in a whirlwind, so to speak, for myself. Um, and then it was ensuring that my elderly mom was safe. And that my spouse, who's an essential worker and, you know, often believes in conspiracy theories and such. So, you know, even the <laughs> fact of it being mentioned that a pandemic was rejected by him. Okay. Um, and, okay. and so after all of that, somewhere along that continuum, I found myself, right, <laughs> granting myself permission to laugh as I needed to and cry as I felt. Um, totally disconnected in many ways and watching something that my dear Sorwar that is hosting doesn't um, agree with, but I do my 90 day fiance franchise. Please find another show. (laughs) That has provided me some balance. And since I engage regularly and daily in the fight against dismantling white supremacy and the remnants of racism, um, I have to be honest, the murders of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd didn't necessarily surprise me. Um, and that's horrible and difficult to admit, but I don't think the impact of them being brought to light amidst, a, I do think the impact of them being brought to light um, amidst a pandemic um, where people were given little choice to lean in right. will hopefully you know, allow us to truly and deliberately make some necessary change. So 2020 has showed herself in a very interesting way. Um, Overall, I I believe in my very core that nothing surprises God. It may have surprised us. And sometimes maybe it shouldn't because there are things that we should be doing as believers to remain in tuned and to be watchful and look around. And, and I do think everything that has happened this year was purpose to get our attention. Mm -hmm. What we do as a result is on us. That is so very true. So very true. So Dr. Stephanie, I want you to give your listeners time to kind of sit in this space with you as clearly um, we can't miss the opportunity to glean from your professional, spiritual, and quite frankly, your personal knowledge in the space of social unrest. So take us a little bit deeper into what your response has been over the last, let's just say the last three weeks. Um, What would you say to white people? And what are you doing about systematic oppression? And would you say, what would you say to your African-American brothers and sisters to encourage and empower them now and in the days to come? Wow, it's a complete, dissertation all in and of itself right so I think after I wept sorely as the ancestors would say um, I asked the Holy Spirit my role and assignment in this space of social unrest so I clearly heard two distinct actions number one was to keep writing 
Um, the Holy Spirit told me that's where you get your healing and promote it for others. And two, because God and I rock out with this humor thing that we, we use with one another, I heard, and you are going to be the white people's whisperer. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So oh, wow. I was like, you know, God, what you mean by that? And I heard, I've gifted you with access, knowledge, and grace to hold space with that population. And on that very day that God spoke that to me, a friend of mine who, who happens to be white reached out to me first to check in and, you know, express her concern about me and my family and the current state of unrest. And secondly, to seek my advice on a fundraising event she was holding by which she really wanted to acknowledge the murders and the protests and the need to change without appearing to co-opt or appropriate um, because she's not black. And now what you need to know about her is that she is an ally and, and she was an ally before all of this happened, but she felt compelled to engage in dialogue specifically with someone she was in relationship with and is black. Mm -hmm. um, and inquiries like that haven't ceased. I mean, that has been the narrative over the last three weeks for me with white folk that I am in a relationship with. For those that I am not, and, and even those that I am, that I'm still unpacking this with um, everything that's happened is not new so racism was systematically created to divide it's benefited white people but it's also been to a disadvantage to white people particularly those with limited resources and access so for all of them we need to hear your voice we need you to be what Ibram Kendi coins as an anti-racist mm -hmm. and deliberately addressing long practice beliefs and actions that have benefited white people to be eliminated. And, and specifically what I mean even more is um, there is a professor that I regard really highly at NC State. Her name is Dr. Juliana Nafa Abinye, and she calls it being a bathroom alley. So imagine being in a meeting and a black colleague calls to attention an issue that is problematic and detrimental to someone that is not white. And they share their truth. The room goes silent <laughs> or the response is, well, no, it's really not that way. Or they just undermine that truth that has been spoken. And as a white person, you witness the disappointment and the devaluing of their statement, but you leave the meeting and you don't say anything. You run into them later in the bathroom and you say, I totally get what you said. I really agree. Mm. That's not the time to demonstrate your ally allyship, right? Your time was in that boardroom or it's in the pulpit or it's in the hiring room. And while I've appreciated the white people in my life that I have relationship and community with reaching out to me and checking in, if you don't have those established relationships in your places of work or in your community or in your places of faith, you got to be more than a bathroom ally. And this is the yeah. time you need to use your voice and use your privilege for those who lack voice and lack privilege and don't carry the same weight as you or value in America. And, and I'll add further, if you are white and you identify as a follower of Jesus Christ, he already modeled that he believed in social justice. And so you need to be committed to the tenets of anti-racism. There are a lot of different ways that you can do that beside, you know, what I'm calling these weak apology tours that folk are on right now. Mm. We need more than that. And we need it to be sustainable and not just something that you do in the moment, which you believe is PC. So I want to break that down just a little bit, um, Dr. Stephanie, for those of us who rock out on a different level. Basically, what I heard you say is 
if you can't stand up and be bold in the front room, get out my face in the back room. Listen, completely. I am. There's no, there's no space, time for it. There's no energy for it. So if you're wondering, you know, black folk are tired. We've been tired before the pandemic. We've been tired before these murders were caught on video. We're tired. We don't have the space and energy to do the emotional labor for you. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that there's not work for all of us to do. But when I have people asking, what can I do? Or I want a training right now. Do some homework. It's summer. Do you remember being in school and you got homework on your summer vacation? You had to read so <laughs> many books before you came back in, in September. Mm-hmm. Here's the time to do some work. Before you deeply engage with people, do some work. Read some books. They're wonderful things. You can read about um transforming racial healing there are a ton of resources there are podcasts out there and listen to the lives and the experiences of black folk before you reject it or make excuse for it just sit this is a time when you can really um, acknowledge that you're not an expert and you don't have all the tools and that's okay we, we can't go back over coulda, shoulda, woulda is what we say. You have to go from this point on, but you got to be willing to do it. And it's not easy, right? It's not easy to confront some really difficult truths. And as I said, racism was created. It did just happen. It, it was created at a time when poor European people and enslaved African people didn't have resources. And because we didn't have resources, we were joining together. And and folks that were in power and privilege saw that and they had to create something that wouldn't allow people that had a lot of similarity to join forces and overtake them. So then it became this consideration of the color of our skin. And then it moves into so many other aspects of bias that are so uh, very clean and so subtle that we can almost miss it mm. until we have something like a murder being captured on a cell phone. Just need everybody to take a deep breath because that Amen. that was a lot. That that was a lot and so true. Um, expressed so passionately yet eloquently once again. So, Dr. Stephanie, I think we had a little bit of te- technical difficulty. In case your listeners hear something a little bit strange, we're going to jump back into one of our previous questions. Um, I was thinking about the fact that Black people have always been a people of faith and have also historically been a people to shy away from mental health and mental wellness supports. Are there any additional insights you can share with us around the intersection between relying on your faith and accessing resources to truly stay well during this complex time? You know, I often say that you can't be present to take care of others if you don't take care of yourself first. So what are your thoughts around this? Come on now, you just preached a sermon right there with that, right? So I completely agree. I have another sister friend of mine. Her name is Dr. A.Y. Bryant, and she introduced me to a book called The Salt Eaters. And it opens with the question, do you really want to be well? Because wholeness is no trifling matter. A lot of weight to be well. Wow. So we can, right, and should acknowledge that as believers, we must operate through faith. And we must balance that against systems of oppression that calls us opportunity to question everything that God has told us, right? If we are going to hold up what we say, the bloodstained banner, it's not without a cost. Mm. And what we do to manage the emotional labor associated with that must balance as believers 
through prayer, praise, worship, and restoration. Mm. And whatever that means for you. Uh, Audre Lorde said, self-care is an act of resistance. So as believers, we must know how to do what is necessary for us to be light in the earth. And if we don't, we begin first by seeking God's face and not his hand, asking him to clearly identify accountability for us in the earth. So that may be for some a therapist, for others, a nutritionist or a clergy person or an elder. Um, But we cannot and we must accept that we cannot do this thing called faith in isolation. Mm. We have another store named Omishade Bernie Scott. And she had an Instagram post up a couple weeks ago saying, you know, stop asking what it is that, that you can do right now. Figure it out. Figure out what your lane is and do that. So for some people, it may be on the front line leading a protest for others it might be in the boardroom for some it might be creating as an artist or praying or holding space to heal or for some it might be taking a nap and taking care of yourself but she admonishes us to find our lane and engage in that way and sometimes I think as black people we hold that history of like you know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me yeah you can if you have yourself well you can't if you if you don't and and we have to remember that the injustices that have been thrusted upon us for for centuries you know they're going to show up in some kind of manner so we have to be intentional about taking care of ourselves and if nothing else we have to accept that mental health and wellness is of god and whatever we got to do to ensure that we need to take those steps as oprah would say that's good that's good <laughs> when she says that right good. <laughs> so look let's get into the vlog and into your mind as a writer Uh-oh. this week's entry was entitled before the door closes you know it starts with a beautiful depiction of a late spring season morning characterized by birds chirping in concert the illuminating rays of the sun providing your healthy dose of vitamin c and then there's Diamond, who is Daisy. always trying to get her shine. Mm-mm. Like right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Yet this week, this infamous dog of Instagram provides a lesson for us on how God moves in our lives to open doors for us and the posture and temperament with which we should trust him as he is always working on our behalf. So Dr. Stephanie, as the author of the blog, can you tell us a little bit more um, about how the the blog was inspired? And also while you're doing that, tell me about a time when you feel or felt that God was closing a door in your life. And how did you struggle and wrestle with the implications of a closed door? What was your resolve or you know, how did you grow in grace and faith during that time? Never miss an opportunity to talk about Diamond, Ugh. our wonderful 16-year-old Beagle Dots interior. Oh, gosh, Diamond. I love her. I love her. I love her. Uh, Diamond doesn't like outside too much. Uh, she is an indoor dog. Uh, and this time of year, because I love sitting in the sun and I love the warmth, I like to sit out back or in the front. And so as I opened the door 
she go outside then she begged to go back in she went out she go back in and I was like this is messing up my vibe out here so I closed the door and made her stay in and she cried and was barking and everything so the next time by that I went inside she was back upstairs and then when she heard door open you know the little chime associated with the uh the alarm system she came flying down the stairs because even though she didn't want to necessarily be out there she wasn't going to let that door close without her being on the other side (laughs) and and God just started speaking to me about that because we often don't like what's out there but what he has purposed for us it's necessary for us to go through an open door but we got to go through a season of it being closed and and I can think of many times I mean things that go back over you know, almost 30 years or even yesterday. <laughs> so um, if I were to pick one that stands out for me, it would be feeling as though my marriage was ending, um, feeling as though I wasn't called to that ministry. <laughs> and I'd already had one failed marriage under my belt. And here I was feeling like I was facing a second. And I really wrestled with God of asking why, you know, why did he allow something to happen, um, allow difficulty, which I felt was not attributable to me, all for it to end. And what I had to do was essentially release it to God, release my marriage to God and and basically say, if it worked out, I was going to give him glory. If it didn't, I was going to give him glory. He's taken me through enough sickness, enough disappointment, uh, thinking about being passed over on jobs that I was qualified for, being underpaid, rearing a single child, a child by myself in singleness and fighting for my degree at the place that I work presently and so much more. So Every single closed door that has occurred manifested in what ended up being grand openness beyond what I could imagine in God. That's transparency at its best. And, you know, as you were saying that about whichever way it turned out, you were determined that you were going to give God glory. It takes me to my favorite scripture. It's actually found twice in the Bible. I think it's in Luke 22 and then in Mark 14 where it just says Lord I know you can do anything and I really have a way (laughs) that I want you to work this out but nevertheless not my will but your will be done like that is really what you were saying either way God I am going to I'm going to give you the praise and you know along those lines I would ask you so what does it really mean? Because I think that amplifies it. What does it really mean to trust God enough to take the steps to go through the door when clearly we cannot predict what life will be like on the other side? And, and how did you come to that? Either way, God, I'm going to do it. Because sometimes we're already um, uncomfortable on the side that we're on. But we're scared uh. to go through. That is so true. I think it comes in that that space of that scripture you just spoke about. Nevertheless, he has done it before. Uh-oh. We have seen him do it before. We have been in places where it felt like it wasn't going to open and he will come through and bust up in there. Gangster as he is, if I can borrow your term. That's who he is. Jesus couldn't have gone through all that he did (laughs) for us to expect that we're not going to go through nothing. Like we will never be able to repay him and nor can we replicate the sacrifice that he made on the cross for us. 
But because we have entuned ourselves and aligned ourselves with him, we will have some remnants of suffering. It is inevitable, but it shall not be compared to the glory. It can't be. So it doesn't mean that we're not going to weep. It does not mean that we want to put on sackcloth. It doesn't mean that we want to hold up. We don't want to talk to nobody. We don't even want to watch 90 Day Fiance. Oh, what? What? Right? Right? And then have to binge later when I get over my depressive oh, state. But he has been too faithful. Do you know that there have been over 100,000 people that have lost their lives in the United States mm. in the last three months? Mm. And we are sitting and standing and moving and able to make Instacart art, uh, cart orders and making masks with designs and mm. having Zoom parties oh and still employed. How about and just feel able to breathe? Jesus. Feel able to breathe. Come on now. So is it uncomfortable? It absolutely is. When we signed up for this thing called faith. He didn't tell us that it was going to be easy. And there are some deep, dark days. And as you talk about mental illness, those are the times when we need to mental wellness or illness that we need to make sure that we are seeking assistance to be able to navigate so that we're here. If that's medication, if that's therapy, whatever it is, changing your diet, changing your lifestyle, getting rid of toxic people. Mm -hmm. There are days that I can watch the news and there are days that I can't. There are days that I have to scroll past things that people tag me on because I'm not in a space to be able to take that. I have to protect my ear gate and my eye gate. But in the end, he said that he would come. He came so that we will have life and that more abundantly. So it doesn't always look like we what we envision or what we did and imagined as a child. But we're here. And if we have breath and life in our body, there's still opportunity to be able to continue with the assignment that he's given us. And we are called sometimes to go through seasons of suffering. That's it. We have to accept that or, or, or at least sit with it for a minute. But there's also beauty that ends up happening in many times. And, and a lot of times we downplay that, right? And we focus more on the negative that's happening when we need to illuminate the beautiful things that are happening around us that we take for granted daily. So you just you just hit on something else I wanted us to, to go into just a little bit. And you know that I'm a music person, so songs are always fresh on my mind. And one of my jams right now that goes along with your blog is Open Door Season by Dietrich Haddon. And, you know, after... I- big door, little door. After the going through. Drops, after the beat drops and I can hear the words, he proclaimed, I declare, ain't nothing held up. It's nothing. open door season over your life. And, you know, I know that personally, I've been humbled to have a front row seat to watch your faith in action. And you've been very transparent even about some things um, on the line today. So as you persevere through what I call the hood, sicknesshood, parenthood, wifehood, caregiverhood, workhood, churchhood, uh, you know, <laughs> and I believe it really is, I believe you do that because you stand on what you referenced in your blog, that John 1010. And, you know, I believe that you believe if you can just get through the hood, there is abundant life or a more fulfilling option available if we can just make it through. So how how do you how do you make that same proclamation that it is open door season over your life? What is your secret sauce 
for living and going through the hood. As we take a breath, because <laughs> that's a lot. You know, I, I just go back to we've seen too many examples. I live with my mother who will be, if the Lord allows, 87 years old next month. She's my favorite person in the household. I just want you to know. I know, I know. And I, I can live with that. I can live with that. Dun, 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 <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, I look at her, I listen to her and all that she has learned and is still learning on this earth. And it comes back to being, God is just faithful. He is faithful. He allows miracles, signs and wonders that happen all around us every day. Every day. I have a friend that posted up last night. What did you do today by which you found joy? And so I think that's a wonderful tenet for us to remove the complication and allow ourselves in our simplest form to just acknowledge breath, life, health, joy, laughter, people being around Mm. us. Um, We didn't know three months ago that we would be on a constant search for toilet tissue. But you know what? We're alive. We're alive to be able to do that. Would I have chosen maintaining my health on the indoors, cutting off Mm. what I love to do and being Mm. around people? No. But again, when we look at all the people that have died as a result of this, and more importantly, the people that have lived, we have seen, I have an aunt that's 94 years old that lived through this virus. And she's not the only one. There are countless of other people. And the fact that we've lived regarding and throughout racism like some people are just opening up to this and there are others of us that's like what this has been going on forever my mother is almost 87 and she can tell you the stories that happened and my father was a a sharecropper and every year being told he didn't make enough he didn't do enough when nobody the people taking the money from him didn't look like him and didn't help till that land at all And yet he was the same person that my mother says would be sitting on the front porch reading his Bible. If he can have faith and I'm just talking about, can I get some toilet tissues? And I'm looking at my 401k to slip some. Come on. Come on. And I'm not lessening the pain and agony that we've had to go through because it's become more sophisticated. Right. But God is still faithful. We are chosen. We are chosen, and so we got to hold on to that. Is that easy? No, it's not easy. But God gave us tears, and we can use them mm. for a reason. The morning after I learned about George Floyd, I wept. I was so excited. I started off the day because I was going to get my hair done. The shops opened oh. back up. <laughs> and I started growing, uh, locking my hair five months ago now. And so everybody was like, at first, like, oh, you locking your hair during winter? That's a good time. Nobody told me it would be during winter in a pandemic. And I don't know how to do my hair. So I was sitting over here feeling in my little feelings. And so when the shops opened up, I was like, yes, I get to go. And I went and it was as much as as I was happy to see the person that, um, you know, styles my hair. There was sadness. And by the time I made it home, I could barely pull in my driveway because I learned what happened. And I was weeping and had to pull my own self off the floor and get on calls and talk about why, oh, diversity is important and and equity is is important. Yeah, but God, 
his 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 family has to deal with this. Breonna Taylor have to. Ahmad Aubrey and so many others and people things that are still happening right now. And so God God is faithful. God is faithful. And even amidst that, we've had drive-by graduations. <laughs> we've had people get scholarships, new jobs, and amazing things happening in their life. And he's still he's still giving abundant life against all that. So open door season is still in full effect. Wow. Wow. Dr. Stephanie, I, I'm just going to go on and say this. You know, I, I was a slight bit pathetic during our last episode. But I'm just going to say, we've got so much to talk about. We might have to do a part two. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to keep moving. But we'll keep moving, but we'll, we'll, we'll we, pee we, in there. Yeah, we might have to do a part two. So look, um, against everything else that you talked about, I want us, can we, can we take a minute to just be Black women for a moment? Come so, on. you know, you have authored three books. Later Never Came Until Now. Her name is She and worshiper in the workplace. And at the end of this week's blog, you reminded us that we are deeply connected to others. And in some regards, God has assigned people to us for us to help them be victorious, just as he has assigned um, us to others. And you know, we have somebody that we reference as bow down and worship him. And we know. (laughs) I don't even say the name because I'm not messing with it. But let me just say, we know that there are people that God places in our pathways to help us navigate. And so, um, you know, at the end of your book, Her Name is She, which I believe you call it the she-clusion, you say at the conclusion of the matter, like with the story of Naomi and Ruth, tell us when the world wants us as Black women to be angry and to pit um, ourselves against each other. How should we use this as fuel to be present and fully supportive of one another, especially as we continue to be challenged, stretched, and often devalued as Black women? Hmm. Yeah, so everything as Black women is not going to have a Nettie Seeley moment experience like in The Color Purple. And Black women do not share race nor gender in common with those that are in power, who is essentially white men. So often we are not on the radar. You think about the murders that we've talked about, and you think about that, about Ahmad and a George as compared to Brianna. She wasn't getting the attention. Mm-hmm. At all. There was there was no attention on her. Right. And we're still having to say her name. So we have to take care of one another. We have to love each other. We cannot afford the enemy to pit us against each other. We are each other's story, each other's glory and each other's liberation. And we cannot rest until we all are free. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Because the same tenacity that we use to change the world as black women, if we're not careful, we can use that against each other. Now, disclaimer here. Some sisters, I have had to make the decision to love from afar. Okay. But I do my best not to live that inside business that we have with one another Mm -hmm. in the streets. Mm -hmm. So we might know that about each other, but the world doesn't have to know. And sometimes I've had to do that for my own mental wellness. And sometimes some splits have happened without my manipulation. And I didn't understand why. And I grieve terribly about that. 
But overall, I'm going to take you and ride with you and support you and cheer you on as a black woman all all day. day. All day. That's good. That is good. That is good. So we're going to get a little bit lighter and then we'll go on and close out. So there are clearly no shortages of things that you are doing, but I'm curious to know what lies ahead for your pen and paper. You know, earlier you said that God spoke to you during this time that you are to keep writing. So are there additional books forthcoming and are you exploring any additional platforms to let your voice and the voices of others be heard? Yes, I'm actually working on a devotional. I started that since we've been sheltering in place and I hope to have it ready (laughs) for pre-sale by the end of uh, 2020. And really just working on promoting the website, drhelmspicket.com and the podcast and both of those, the website I've had, but um, Courtney Moore, shout out, helped me to redesign a, a new one and the podcast. So both the website and the podcast actually started while we've been sheltering in place. So I'm excited to hear of more about the um, devotional that is coming forward. So we'll put a pin in that too, so that we can come back at a later time and explore that. I'm excited. I yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. About <laughs> that. I'm excited about that. So even though I've shared with you that sometimes you and your writing get on my last nerve. I know, I I know, know. I received that. It is practice, no filter, I'm just saying. But I don't doubt for a moment (laughs) that God has anointed you to proclaim the gospel through the power of your pen. So I'm really excited to hear about um, the works that you have in progress. But what I also know is that any anointing does not come for free. Do you mind sharing with your listeners how you started writing? What's the inspiration for your writing? And what has been some of the costs of the oil for your writing? So I really started writing as a child. I recall that I won a citywide writing contest when I was in second grade, but I can't tell you what the topic was. I really don't remember anymore. Uh, But then I had a teacher in my third grade classroom. Her name was Mrs. Williams, and she had all of the kids bring an item from home, and she put them in a box. And then every Friday, we would pick an item out, and over the weekend, we were to write a story. And the first one that I recall was I pulled out a sock, and I wrote a story about a sock taking an adventure all over the south side of Chicago. And ever since that time, I've just loved writing. Um, I have been hooked completely. And God allows me and my writing to be very transparent. So I can't write anything or haven't written anything that I haven't experienced. So that also puts me in a little discomfort sometimes because I feel like I'm putting my business out there. But that's what God has instructed me to do. And associated with the cost of the oil, um, it's often what people don't see or what they cannot imagine. And while I don't. I wrote a blog recently about not wanting to sign up as tribute from the (laughs) Hunger Games. Um, I also believe um, there's a song that's called Nothing, Nothing Wasted. So nothing that I've been through to experience the oil hasn't strengthened my faith and my determination to roll with Jesus no matter what. All right. So look, we have not been writing as much, so we are not emptying each other, you know, enjoying musical selections (laughs) the same way that we had in the past. And I'm sure we'll get back there. 
But tell we'll me get there. what are the top three songs in rotation for you right now and why did they make the playlist? Ooh, well, the first one you introduced me to, Graves ah. Into Gardens. <sighs> I, had, I just have to breathe through that one because that point in that song when he says, because the ah. God of the mountain is the God of the valley. I don't need to say anything else. That's why. Uh, and then I had to go to an old school song, um, old school Yolanda Adams, that oh, name. Wow. And it takes me in and under and through because she's talking about everything that we've encountered and been through. But the name is Jesus. And oh, how I love right. him. And then finally, because, you know, everything in my playlist ain't always oh, about Jesus as much as people might not oh, believe that to be. You talking about that? Uh, no. Uh, well, I could. I could. I am a true househead out of the south side of Chicago, and I have been enjoying Alicia Myers. I want to thank you. I want to thank you, oh, Heavenly Father, for shining your light on me. You can mm-hmm. sing it. I can't. I want to thank you, Heavenly Father. Hey. Okay, you're not going to take me there today. I'm not doing it. That's it. That's it. But those are, those are my so top look, three right now. How about when you hit Graves in the Garden? I'm just saying, can we stay there for a minute? Because the part we that breaks me down is just the chorus. When he says, cause there's nothing better than you. Better. I mean, what is better? What is better than our Lord and Savior? Nothing. And then when he gets to the part, hmm. Mm, mm, mm. You turn you graves turn into gra- glory. Okay. I, I'm not. Okay. And, and then when he hit the court, doom, doom, doom. yeah. Okay. Get your whole oh life and listen to that song. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's stay focused. Okay. So before I get okay, into okay, the okay. last, we back. We back. I do want you to give your listeners a moment. Those that are listening to your podcast, I know there are going to be people that want to connect with you at a deeper level. What are the platforms that you recommend people reach out to Dr. Stephanie to become more closely connected? Thank you. I am on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as Dr. Helms Pickett. And you can also get in touch with me through my website at drhelmspickett.com. So I gave you an assignment and I'm so glad that I get to ask you this question. During episode two of Practice No Filter, I said I wanted you to take the time to unpack for us your self-identified tagline as being a dangerously privileged curator of faith. Let me say it again for the people in the back. A dangerously privileged curator of faith. Tell us what this means and exactly how you curate your faith. Thank you. It is rooted in the recognition that I carry both authority and anointing. And the way that I operate in it can be dangerously beneficial to the kingdom or dangerously damaging. Everything within me is gifted by God. And as long as I keep that as my focus, there is absolutely nothing he cannot see me through and serve as inspiration or accountability or assurance to someone else. A curator is simply someone who takes care of something. And as long as I take care of my faith, that privileges me in ways that God intended that abundant life that we spoke of. So not meaning that things happen always as I hope or believe each time, 
but it does assure me that he has me no matter what. And that is dangerous to the enemy of my soul because he knows that grants me privilege to move in this earth in ways that counter him. Selah. Deep, deep breath. Long pause. So, you know, after hearing that, I, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I feel like closing us out, you know, with the song, maybe. Oh, well. Come on, come on now. You know what? I tell you what, in the midst of everything that we are going on, in the midst of you coming on, being fully transparent and sharing with us just how strong your faith is, um, knowing how much we stand in need of just really, really seeing God's hand of mercy and grace and forgiveness and restoration and just all of the things that we need in order for us to be sustained. I, I'm struggling, but I think I could probably get to, let me see. Um, we are here for you. Come and do what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. Set our hearts on you. Come and do what you do. Cause we need a move. We need a move. We need a move. Yeah. We need a move. Dr. Stephanie, happy 50 wonderful birthday weekend. May God continue to bless you and may he continue to use you, your pen, and all of the gifts that he has bestowed upon you mightily. We're signing off from this episode of Praxis No Filter, the takeover edition with our special guest, Dr. Stephanie Helms Pickett. Praise God. Thank you, my sister. I love you.